0: Hello everyone, welcome back to episode four. This is the final Friday of Real Talk. And I'm joined again with Lauren. Erdwin and Stephanie Cooper. Steph is an uh old colleague of mine, and as you already know, Lauren is an existing peer colleague and friend. So, really, this is girl talk of some friendship that's happened over the years, and actually, we're going to be talking about mental health diagnosis and what we've done to help ourselves over the years, um, since we've known each other, times that we've spent apart and times that we've been together, how we've managed our stress, and whether it's been a formal or unformal diagnosis. So I'd really like to start by thanking you both and welcoming you to this recording for the last episode of Real Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you
1: for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's so nice yeah. to have both of you here. Um While we were talking before I press record for everybody listening and watching, we were actually talking straight away about, do we need somebody to diagnose us with a mental health disorder? You know, is that something that we look for, that we need, that can bring benefit or not? What do you think, Steph?
1: I don't. It's like I was saying before, I don't think you need a medic, like someone medically trained to say you know, you've got anxiety, you've got depression, you've got an eating disorder, because if you use the analogy of using, like, mental health the same as you would physical health, you, you wouldn't need to be a doctor to know that you had a broken leg. Like, you yeah, from your experience. But yeah. That doesn't feel right. And I think it's the same with mental health, definitely. <laughs> like, especially if you've gone through it with someone else or you've, like, you have knowledge in it. You yeah. just know when you're not not right which I think is how most people realise that there might be something there.
0: Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. If you're starting to feel like something isn't quite right, going through it with somebody else at the time can help highlight maybe symptoms or feelings that you've thought, oh, I've read about that somewhere, or somebody I know said that they used to feel a bit like that. When... You've shared about your eating disorder before, Lauren. When it was kind of like the starting point of it, did you have that, like, person that you went through anything with? Because I know that me and Steph did. We kind of went through, like, the beginning of acknowledging our hard harder days, like, kind of together. Did you have that, Lauren?
2: Not really. I was kind of... On my, not on my own with it, but I don't really feel like there was anyone else really there probably that I went through it with. Okay. I think because as well, when I was diagnosed with having an eating disorder and being told that I had depression-like tendencies, mm-hmm. I almost really struggled with it because it seemed like, you know, I always saw myself as really high-functioning, so I mm-hmm. kind of thought, but how could that possibly be when I go to the gym every day, I go to work, I go yes. with friends, I have all these things going on. So no, I kind of, I kind of felt like I, I went through the start of it, especially before I started telling more and more people about it on my own. When did you
0: start telling people about it? Like, I've I've not got um, a diagnose. like, I mean, I suppose it's important to fill in, like, I haven't got a formal diagnosis of any mental health disorder, but I 100% diagnosed myself with anxiety and knowing the scale yeah. of anxiety as well. So knowing how bad it was after I had my second child and now I almost hardly experience any levels of anxiety. But I know that it's there. Steph, did you have formal diagnosis?
1: I did. I've kind of been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, but separately. OK. So I'd say depression was five years ago. Um, could have been six. Mm-hmm. It was when we went through it together, um and they were like, yeah it's depression, and that was when mental health wasn't talked about as much as it mm. is now mm. and then when I kind of got to a point where I was like, I can't go to work tomorrow, and I couldn't put my finger on why I couldn't do it
2: mm. Mm.
1: um and then I went to the doctors, and I was like i just don't I don't feel right like I've had depression before, yeah um. It's not right. And then he was like, I think this is more anxiety. And when
0: when did both of you start telling someone? So you've spoken about work. So I don't know if it was the same for you, Lauren, but at some point a conversation would have had to have happened of... I can't come to work or I can't come to work because of this or you need to produce some sort of document and then suddenly it starts becoming real. When, mm. when was that? Like at what stage was it quite early on?
2: So I guess, I think I'd been in therapy for about two, maybe three weeks because mm-hmm. I remember as well starting therapy and I had this very clear-cut thing of I would have six sessions of therapy and then I would be fixed that was it I would be done in six weeks and I think I got to about three or four weeks in and realized that oh that's very much not the case this is going to be quite a long-winded thing Mm -hmm. and I think that's when I started telling more people I started telling family members Mm -hmm. I had to have the conversation with my manager about it Mm -hmm. I started telling friends more about it that because I'd said I'm just going to go to therapy I'm just kind of interested for my course it's a good thing to do and then I kind of started telling them that it was more serious and now I feel Mm. like I not tell everyone almost like it's a personality trait but Mm. if I've been speaking to them for a long time it's something I just share with them.
0: I know that you're kind of the same Steph without even really asking you the direct question because all three of us are the same that actually we accept it now as part of who we are and we kind of accept that we can be a bit difficult sometimes because of it. So when we do tell people, it's like we tell the people that we trust and it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that we see all the time. Like, I know we haven't, we've just met Lauren, like literally, you know, like a month, two months ago. And Steph, we haven't seen each other physically for a good few years. So it's interesting that you kind of bond and connect over the harder times, the harder conversations and just the real talk of like, yeah, I understand like how shit it can be or what those days feel like, like, you know, how does it feel for you type thing? There's like a relatable kind of understanding.
1: Um, I think it kind of brings in a bit of a bond between people because mm-hmm. I know that me and one of my really good friends, I met her through rugby and... Um, And we genuinely started spending more time together because we were both off um, on long-term sick with mental
0: health.
1: Yeah. Um, And it's made us the best of friends because we spent so much time together because we were both off at the same time. Yeah. But then again, we've got that common ground, but you also then get someone that you can confide in because you know that they understand. And I think that's probably why when you and I, Lucy back when we were both kind of like, well, pre-my diagnosis, and when you were kind of realising what was going on in your life, Mm -hmm. why we got on so well, Mm. because you didn't necessarily need that guard up that you'd have with everyone else. Yeah. Because people, your friends got you, and that's kind of enough.
0: Yeah, it's really my whole reason for instigating. I think at that time I'd already started my degree and I was already doing other stuff, but it really fueled me when I sort of started to come out the other side of, as my child grew, I suddenly felt calmer and then started connecting it to pieces of the past and started to ask myself, oh, I want to know why I feel this way or what could have made me feel this way. And I I got that, A stimulation, which is how you've described Steph with your friend at rugby, that stimulation of like somebody else, like I'm reading that other people feel like this and you're you're connecting on a physical level that other people feel the same way and you're sharing likes of, you know, hobbies and and whatever else. What did you do, Lauren, at the time when you were going through your eating disorder and you said you felt quite lonely? Was there anybody that you could relate to or support groups or anything that you used?
2: I looked for quite a lot of online support groups and there's quite a big following on Instagram of people that have kind of a body positivity movement. Yeah. I kind of... I threw myself more towards that because I did find when I was speaking to people about it, there was kind of an essence of not really understanding very much. If I said to people about it, a lot of their response would be, but you're thin, so you don't need to worry about what you eat. And I was kind of like, that's not Mm. what it is. Mm. So it was kind of nice to, although they weren't people that I was directly connecting with, it was nice to see that other people were having the same experiences yeah, that I yeah, had yeah like they a move, wouldn't. like
0: a movement like relatable yeah.
2: I know that I feel like that
0: like oh my god as if you're anxious Lucy like you're so confident you can do this you can I'm like yeah <laughs> that's a hell of a lot of work that's got me into that yeah. state you know that I use my anxiety to help me through life that buzz is actually a functioning buzz now but I hope that by creating Have a Words and even doing this with you two, I hope you two realise as well that actually us speaking, we could be the people that we're talking about, like, you know, at the beginning of our journey when we were just kind of navigating, like, who's felt like this and this is really... uh," Hopefully, just if somebody even listens to this on a podcast or Instagram, you know, that people just feel like they're not alone, that there are other people out there and that have been on the journey of mental health related topics feelings and it's interesting well, really how we all overlap
1: i think that's the thing though and it is making mental health and we're talking about it yeah as hey, as normal yeah as physical health and that's kind of like the outlook for the past few years that i've been yeah. able to get and it's like well it's like what you were saying like fu- like functioning with anxiety because yeah. I feel like I've been on two sides of the scale I've been unable to function and literally housebound mm-hmm. but then I've also been working full-time mm-hmm. And I remember one day at EasyJet saying oh I need, take my- I need to take my medication so I was like oh like what have you got a headache and I went I just kind of that moment that I was like no no it's um my antidepressants anti-anxiety mm. Mm. And I was like Oh, but you don't seem the type, and it's like this is why we need to speak about it more because because what's the
0: type? What's the type? Like, what's that? What's the type of person that takes antidepressants? Like, what does that look like? You know, it's what does it look like at home? Exactly. (laughs) It's 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 like what does somebody look like that's got an eating disorder, Lauren? Like, you know, when somebody's saying to you, "Oh, but you're." You're slim, like you're skinny. How can you have an eating disorder? We've all dealt with stigma in one way or another. Like all three of us saying that and giving example, we've all dealt with it in a in an interesting way because we overlap. So we've got anxiety, depression and eating disorders, but actually it's easily identified that between us we could overlap into each other's diagnosis because an eating disorder is a coping mechanism. Rugby, coping mechanism, me being busy and acknowledging my anxiety, coping mechanism, keeping myself so organised and structured, complete coping mechanism. There's so many different things that people can do that help them to cope with their mental health, whether it's formal diagnosis or not, that maybe the person doesn't realise at the time because... I'm sure, Steph, if we had a conversation like five years ago and was like, "Oh, right, rugby's going to help you out, like, in your future, you'd like, you would be like, what?
1: To <laughs> I literally would have told you where to go. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, though, you saying about things overlapping because, like, not, like, right this instant, but, like, the past year or so, I've realised ways that I've coped with depression. Yeah. Um, I know you will remember this, Lucy. You know, when... Um, I went through the fast stage.
0: Yeah, yeah, we both did.
1: Because I was so unhappy, not just unhappy, I was depressed because mm. the way my life was going, mm. it was going in a way that, you know, I was engaged, I was planning a family, mm. which was everything I thought I was meant to want, but mm-hmm. uh, actually that in itself attributed to the depression and yeah. the only thing in my life I could control was my diet and exercise yeah. I could control my life because a partner had that control and was mm. making my decisions for me. But the only thing I could control was what I ate mm. and the amount that I exercised, which actually resulted in me being ill. Mm. Like, physically and mentally made things worse. So it's good to see now how I've got a coping mechanism, which mm. is completely on the opposite scale of where I was. Whereas now... I use exercise and food Mm -hmm. in such a positive way. Mm. Yeah, I still control it. I control it to achieve a goal Mm -hmm. rather than just aimlessly. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Is that relatable to you, Lauren? Oh, absolutely. Kind of the way I see food and exercise now, it's more of a... You know, it's a good thing my body can do these things. I'm now in a really healthy position where, you know, I go to the gym and I lift really heavy weights and it's a nice coping mechanism because instead of it being this place that I go to punish myself, I think of it as this is my hour out of the day where mm-hmm. I don't have to think of anything else. There's mm-hmm. nervous stress. There's nothing else I need to be tending to. Mm-hmm. I can just focus on this mm-hmm. and get a bit of peace. And then my reward for having a really good workout is that I can give myself a really nice nourishing, fulfilling dinner. Mm -hmm. whereas before it was kind of this real punishment I was unhappy about things in my life so Mm. if I was you know really thin and therefore attractive I would people would be better towards me and my Mm. life would therefore be better Mm. Mm. it was such a weird way of looking at things
0: it really reminds me you saying that um I've gone straight away to CBT then. Just breaking it all down, just the benefit of talking therapies through this. And we have used, you know, examples of formal diagnosis or not, but actually just speaking to each other, whether it's a professional or not, just breaking things down to create new perspective, new thought process around your current ways of thinking. There is room for change. There is room for recovery, to feel better, to recover from this, from where we're at, whether that's a short-term period of sadness or issue or crisis to a long-term period. And I would hope for anybody watching or listening that actually that intervention of talking to somebody or just recognising that something doesn't feel right is the shortest amount of time as possible. But in order for us to do that, there needs to be an environment where there is less stigma Less comments of, how can you have anxiety when you're like that, Lucy? Steph, oh, you don't look like the type. And Lauren, you're too slim to have an eating disorder. We need to create an environment and actually a culture where people accept, oh, okay, tell me more. I don't know much about that. If you want to chat, I'm here for you. You know, like, let's create more listening in a non-judgmental way for people to just recognize that they're having a bit of a shit time.
1: And that's normal. I think definitely and there's something I think that's why obviously you know how long I've been so I wouldn't say so open but I am quite open about mental health and that's the thing it's I know I say to people going back to like if you have a broken leg Mm -hmm. if you had a broken leg most people would update their Facebook status or be like oh Mm -hmm. look what happened or you know something physical happened you wouldn't openly tell people you wouldn't walk in a room and be like hi I've got a broken leg but or anything like that Um. it's the same as you were saying like With anxiety and depression it does become part of who you are and I don't get me wrong I don't meet someone like hi I'm Steph. you know I'm 30 Mm -hmm. I have anxiety and depression
2: Mm -hmm. but
1: when it's relevant I'll drop it into conversation and I'll just drop it in the same way I'd drop in if I I had a bad back or anything like that yeah and again it just makes me feel so good that there are people like you that just talk about it so Mm -hmm. freely Mm. because Do you know what? Everyone has mental health, be it good, bad, everyone has... Absolutely, absolutely. you don't have to have that prolonged period of feeling anxious or being depressed. Yeah. To be enough to talk about. Yeah, exactly that.
0: Exactly that. I know that when I think about you saying there, like when you just drop in, you know, like just a little conversation with somebody, I spoke about my coping mechanism with my anxiety and making it work for me is organization and being really organized when I'm about to go into a new place, like get a sense of right where exactly where I need to go and just have my be very organized in the sense of planning for sort of anything. Um that is related to me, my work life, my personal life, it kind of just makes me feel that little bit more in control. So in my business, if I'm speaking to somebody, it's very often that I will send over an email and just say, just making sure that everything's okay. And if I need to use a different exit or entrance to go in, or if you need me to arrive, what's the name of the building or the name, just those little extra questions that is not me saying, do, 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 this person's got anxiety, like make way, not at all. It's literally just those little things that where I've become aware of it, I can put into place to help look after myself better. And then that allows me to talk about it better. I'm healthy talking about it because I feel positive about it. It helps me. And that's exactly like you two, rugby, connection, like similarities with people. That helps you, that's an outlet the gym, Lauren, is so healthy for you. You re- you reward yourself with a lovely meal. God, I haven't even had my dinner yet when we're recording this and you're making me feel hungry. Like, nu- the word nourish, there's something about that. It just sounds lovely. Like, the connection that you have with food now is so different from where you were before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Both of you, in fact. You know, we were talking about weight loss, drinks, and food supplements and things, and how it can go both sides of the scale, right? I don't know if anybody listening or watching has seen the Freddie Flintoff documentary. Um, but that's worth a watch, just worth a watch flagging up while we're talking about it. Actually, that's really eye opening for people who have maybe more of a narrow minded view on mental health or eating disorders, anxiety and depression. Um, that's definitely worth uh, mentioning. What else do you do to keep yourself safe girls like what do you do if you can feel yourself slipping to a lower point or a triggering point what sort of boundaries do you put in place Lauren
2: so I know a lot of my triggers come from certain people Okay and I know after I've I even know now after I've been around certain people I'll come home and then I desperately want to stress eat
0: okay which
2: it's then like a binge where I'll eat so much it'll be absolutely ridiculous and I I kind of I recognize that trigger now I come home if I have that uncomfortable feeling where I want to stress eat I'm kind of like, okay Instead of doing that, let's do something that's going to be good for me instead. So Mm. maybe let's do a face mask Mm. or write it down in my journal so I can kind of get that feeling out there, recognise that I have that feeling, Mm. go for a walk, anything else that's going to kind of take my mind away from it.
1: Yeah. What about you, Steph? I think for me, one of the biggest things is actually just being honest about it. Like, that's one of my coping mechanisms. Like, if I come home, like I'll say to Gareth and my partner, I'll be like... Just, just, just need a sofa day. And yeah. I think that's also part of it, is yeah. taking time out. Because yeah. for me, it's when I I get most anxious when I feel like I've got so much on mm. Mm. and I can't plan it. I mm. mean, I love a list. Yeah. If I've got so much going on in my head, I'm like, right, when I get up tomorrow, I've got so much to do, I mm-hmm. don't know what to do. Grab a notebook and I just write down what I'm going to do. Or depending on where I'm at, if there's one thing that is getting to me, I will go to the gym, give myself, as Lauren said before, that hour mm. where all I'm focusing on is the gym, focus on my lifts, focusing yeah. on those numbers because I can control that Yeah, and also realising that, you know, I am going to have a bad day mm-hmm. so if I don't do as well as I have done previously, do you know what, it's life, yeah. you know. Yeah
0: exactly that and you both know I feel nervous really really quite anxious at the beginning of these sessions recording them the first thing I did before you came on Steph was put my dressing gown on I'm completely dressed under here but there's something I was like oh my dressing gown comfort let's wear it I feel fine now there's just the tiniest things that we just nobody would know that I that it makes me feel that nervous because I can cover it well not necessarily intentionally but i look at it as a task so i separate the emotion from a task objective to i have to do this for xyz so that's how i manage my anxiety and if i have to wear my dressing gown then i'll wear my dressing gown you can't necessarily do that when you're going into the office but that's the benefit of working from home now that we can stay in our pajamas and our dressing gowns if we want to
1: (laughs) i think a lot of it does come down to comfort and just being comfortable yeah. Like, in yourself. Um, like, oh, after you say you put your dressing gown on, I changed out of a T-shirt to a long-sleeve jumper because it's kind mm-hmm. of like... It's like, well, it's jumper. It's cosy. Yeah, and it's snuggly um, When I'm feeling anxious, or not, I've noticed when I have had anxiety attacks that have been really bad, if I'm wearing a pair of skinny jeans, the first thing I'll do is come home and take my jeans off and get under mm. a blanket mm. because it's that physical restriction mm. of wearing skinny jeans, which, for me, it feels like it's coming from everything within yeah but like the mental restriction is physical as well yeah that's so an it's just interesting like, point
0: a yes have you seen those weighted blankets that you can get as well
1: I You have, can, one. I, have you got one i've got one i use it at night because i've always been someone oh, who knows it. That, uh, do they work absolutely love it like oh, I want one <laughs> like, because he saw it was like good for like gym recovery and stuff like that because mm. he plays rugby as well and honestly when I'm having a bad day or we've been out somewhere and especially at the minute and people have got a bit too close to me they have like oh, I'm gonna sit on the sofa with your blanket and I'm like yeah and it's it's weird because I say how I don't like to wear skinny jeans when I'm anxious because it's restriction but the weighted blank is it's kind of it's so even and it's you mm. need mm. one those
0: so. things. <laughs> you know what? It's so relevant of um speaking about that actually, like the element of restriction because we we're all walking around in masks and that's an element of restriction. Anybody that has, you know, anxiety or any sort of just a low mood or low self-worth and then putting that restriction on their face although there's scientific evidence to show that you're not actually losing any content of oxygen intake it's a psychological fit you know it is there that actually that is a restriction so your brain then goes into mechanism of when you last felt like that and if you're somebody that's experienced panic attacks. I mean, that's a whole session in itself. That's a whole real talk in itself. A panic attack feels like you're going to die. So if your brain's telling you that, "Oh, oh, I've got something on my face... You know, I think there should be much more awareness and understanding that actually maybe somebody's wearing an exemption because of anxiety and it's because of that. How can we help somebody manage that differently without necessarily being so critical of somebody that's not wearing a mask while we're out in current times or certain uniforms? I know within our shared previous profession, Steph, we would wear a uniform which involved a neck scarf. And that's restrictive. It's around your neck. Have you ever worn a uniform, Lauren, or had any sort of place of work that has maybe brought on like physical symptoms of eating disorder or linked with eating disorders and the anxiety from that being surrounded by food, I guess?
2: See, I found being surrounded by food that kind of thing does panic me quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I find it's weird, like Christmas is one of those things where people bring food into the office and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you have so many people that say to you, you know, treat yourself, it's Christmas, you can, mm-hmm. you know, eat whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. And I'm kind of like, it makes me so unbearably uncomfortable that there's so many of you now putting mm-hmm. this big thing mm-hmm. on me, like mm-hmm. eating, that it then makes me like it has a physical reaction on me yeah. where I feel like so panicked and so stressed Mm. that I'm like even if I wanted to eat now I couldn't like going out for meals Mm. with people I used to find that I'd try eating and it was almost like the saliva in my mouth would just disappear Mm. because I was that stressed by having kind of everyone around me commenting on not eating Mm. and stuff and I feel that's that same kind of restrictive Mm. horrible
0: feeling absolutely it's definitely turned physical and psychological then hasn't it like it's then peer pressure And it then just feels like, oh, this feels horrible. I want to escape. This isn't nice. Like just that feeling, you know, I've I've done that quite recently, actually. I felt really uncomfortable and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go. And it's just strange. And I think it's being able to be okay with that, that if you need to remove yourself from somewhere or a situation that now we're at the stage where we're at, we have this high level of self-awareness of our own self. So we just need to do what we need to do, girls, Like, and not worry about the judgment from no one else, whether they're family, friends or whoever. We have to put ourselves first. We have to look after ourselves. We've got people that love and care about us and we love and care about other people. So You know, one of these sayings that I say on my courses and from my ex industry is we must fit our oxygen mask before we fit anyone else's. And it's true. That's relevant in any industry because I'm not bothered if somebody gets a bit miffed that I've just suddenly left a room quickly. But I am bothered if somebody cannot support me through a panic attack, actually, because I've just sat on all the feelings and not listened to any of my body that's telling me to remove myself from that environment.
1: But then I think that goes back to like Lauren was saying, like she'll know when she's been around certain people and how it's going to affect her. Um, like for me, I've had, you know, I like, she you refers you refer to them like toxic people, people that aren't going to support you and support your goals. You kind of know that they're just going to make things worse. Mm. And it's like I said, this, I don't get if you, if people can't deal with me getting up and walking out or how I'm coping with things. Do you know what? I don't mean you there. Um, and it's, you know, and it's a self fact of life that people need to realise that you are going to act a certain way. And if they can't support you with it, then you're gone. And that sometimes you do need to cut, sounds really harsh and brutal, but you do need to cut people off from your life if they are going to have a negative impact in your life. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know what, just but if you want to
0: walk out the door, go, because I'll, I'll hold the door. I've got no problem with that anymore. I know that, Lauren, you completely share the same view. You use the same language of toxic people. And I just really connect to that yeah. as well. That actually, if there's somebody that's not bringing me any support and all they're bringing me is judgment, really, you know, I, I don't really want you <laughs> in my life because I want people that are like, loose, so you left the room. Why is that? Can you talk to me? Like let's chat. I didn't like it when you left the room. Like it made me feel this way. So I want to be able to support you better instead of, oh my God, like she just wants to go. Like, you know, who does she think she is just leaving and not saying goodbye or, you know, all that negative judgment and energy that we've all experienced all three of us like in some sort of context we've experienced judgment and stigma from other people and actually there is a power in that girls that we can just say no I'm okay with it I'm okay with you having your opinion on me and me doing me I'm okay with that I'm just going to look after myself and just hope for the best because we've all been to the lowest points that we could feel and we know for sure that we never want to feel that low again and we're going to do everything we can to avoid it. So if that means a few people maybe get a bit judgy about it, then that's okay. (laughs) That's also easier said than done though, right? Because when it's happening, it's a bit like, oh, they're judging me, but ultimately I think we all sit quite securely in the fact that we just need to look after ourselves and protect ourselves and that goes for anybody watching and listening just protect yourself we're going through massive change uncertainty and a huge level of anxiety as it is as a country as a nation as a world as what everybody is going through so I feel like I could talk to you both for so much longer but that is we've already gone over our half an hour so I I don't want to keep people too long listening to this episode, but it is the final one and I'd love for people to get in touch. I I appreciate that following and commenting and responding on a mental health page is a big deal in itself. But if you want to reach out to me, Lauren or Steph, I know that all three of us, our inboxes are always open to just talk, share any thoughts from this episode or just life with how you're feeling Have a word with Lucy, Lauren or Steph. And we thank you so, so much for listening and watching. And girls, love you both. Thank you for doing this with me. And I cannot wait to drop it. Look out on the grid. Thanks, everyone. Bye.